Good evening. Be turning your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll continue to look at this text as it relates to uh, the equipping the saints and the work of ministry, the work of the church. And as Bradley has already mentioned, we're going to be talking about encouragement. And as uh, by way of encouragement, I want to thank you for being here tonight. And I want to encourage you to, uh, all, as I know you often do, but I want to encourage you to continue to lift up our elders uh, as they uh, have the charge to oversee uh, this flock, uh, as they have the charge to uh, watch out for our souls and to cast vision and things like that. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to remember those, uh, those men and the good work that they are doing and the challenging work that they are involved in. And that's part of what we will talk about tonight is encouraging not only them but one another. I want you to notice... Uh, about verse 12, 13, and 14 of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Paul says he's, he's given these positions of leadership for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the building up. And that's where encouragement comes in. Till we come to the unity of the faith uh, and, the, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. William Arthur Ward said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. The Duke of Wellington, the British military leader who defeated Napoleon at Waterloo, was not an easy man to serve under. He was brilliant, he was demanding, and he was not one to shower uh, blessings and compliments to his subordinates. Yet even Wellington realized that his methods left something to be desired. In his old age, a young lady asked him if, if anything he would do differently in his life if he had it to do over again. And this is what he said after he thought for a moment. He said, I'd give more praise. Paul said this is done for the equipping of the saints. And equipping involves inspiring. It involves motivating. It involves exhorting each and every servant of God in his or her areas of service. 1 Corinthians 12, God has placed every one of us in the body by way of our talents and abilities for the building up of the body of Christ. That everything works together like our physical bodies are supposed to. It has been well said that the church should be the most encouraging body on earth. Now let's ask ourselves the question, can that be said of the church here in Savannah? Can that be said of the church here in Savannah? It is the most encouraging body on earth. You see, I believe that that can be said when every Christian, like, uh, uh, like Paul says in Ephesians 4 and other places, when every Christian does their part 
and encouraging. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, and we're going to again look at several passages of Scripture. Uh, turn to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, particularly beginning in verse 9 and following, it describes some of the ways that God meets our need for encouragement through fellow members of the body. And notice what Paul says here to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 12, we'll begin in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place uh, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those are some very encouraging words, but they're also some very challenging words as Paul uh, gives these ways that God, uh, through the church, meets our needs for encouragement. I want you to listen to one thing that Bajants and Collins says in their book. Some seem to think that encouragement means no negatives. They seem to see encouragers as people who always notice and mention only the positive. Jesus didn't make that view. Matthew 23, all those woes, woe to you. That's, that's a form of encouragement, right? That, that's not necessarily a positive thing. That's a warning. That's a challenge issued to people. I mean, look at the book of Revelation. And you look at those seven churches. And Jesus, through the Spirit to John, He gives challenges in an encouraging way to those individuals, to those Christians. And so encouragement is not, not, doesn't mean uh, it's void of negatives. Even Paul, um, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, he, he mentions something that's, uh, in a sense, kind of a negative uh, not necessarily uh, the positive. He says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's a form of encouragement. Reminding people, reminding the church there of these things. Christians, they say, encur Christian encouragers do not deny reality. They don't pretend that things are better than they are. 
Christian encouragers know that Jesus is the answer to every need and that God is greater than anything. So, for example, we encourage each other to repent of sin and seek God's forgiveness. That's not negative. It's biblical, they say. And so when we encourage, sometimes we have to encourage in ways that are sometimes uncomfortable. Or maybe there's a situation that's uncomfortable and we want to encourage a brother and sister. Wouldn't Paul call us, those who are spiritual, restore such a one that's been led away? That's a form of encouragement because our, uh, our challenge, our encouragement to them is, is come back. Come back. In their book, they list two points of interest. The first one is the power of encouragement. Encouragement contributes to maturity in Christ-likeness. Encouragement helps each Christian do his share and causes growth in the body. And so when we encourage one another, and sometimes that's, sometimes that's encouraging people, hey, we need you here. We miss seeing you. It's been a long time. We miss you. And sometimes that's in uncomfortable situations, but the purpose is for the building up, for the edifying, because we want to see people grow. We want to see the church grow. Anything that helps imitate Jesus is encouraging, even if it may seem difficult and painful. What makes encouragement so powerful? It's because encouragement is grounded in the love of God and His truth. And that's why we reach out to people and that's why we encourage. You see, it flows from God's gift, as we talked about this morning, of Jesus. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 11. We want to look here at several passages found in the book of Acts as it relates to this idea of encouragement. In Acts chapter 11, we want to notice verses 23 and 24. Dr. Luke writes, When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. In the book of Acts, they talk about Barnabas. When we think about encouragement, the, the, the go-to individual in Scripture always seems to be Barnabas. The apostles, they sent out Barnabas to Antioch because they had heard great things about the church there. And they wanted someone who would encourage. Barnabas encouraged the church at Antioch with purpose. He chose to do so. He chose to do that because he wanted to encourage them. And notice what it said about Barnabas in verse 24. You see, this is something I think we need to consider. This is something I think we need to think about in our own individual lives and especially those we elevate to positions of leadership. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. That's the kind of individual Barnabas was. And folks, I dare say that elevated Barnabas not better than anyone else, 
But that elevated him to be able to be in a position of leadership, to be able to go out and talk with people. Because Barnabas was not one, because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, Barnabas was not one of those that were going to say, hey, hey guys, this is, it's all going to be about what I want. Barnabas was that man of encouragement. And you see, that made all the difference. I came across this story in way of illustration. It wasn't like Scott Kriegel to give up. He was a battler, the story goes. A dedicated athlete who spent hour after hour perfecting his free throw and jump shot during the hot summer months of 1987. But just before fall practice, everything changed. A serious car accident left Scott in a coma for several days. When he, when he awoke, a long re rehabilitation process lay ahead. Like most patients with closed head injuries, Scott balked at doing the slow, tedious work that was required to get him back to normal. Things such as stringing beads. What high school junior would enjoy that? Tom Martin, Scott's basketball coach at the Christian school he attended, had an idea. Coach Martin told Scott that he would reserve a spot on the varsity for him if he would cooperate with the, his therapist and show progress in the task that he was asked to do. And Tom's wife, Cindy, spent many hours with Scott, encouraging him to keep on going. Within two months, Scott was riding off uh, the basketball court on the shoulders of his teammates. He had made nine straight free throws to clinch a triple overtime league victory. It was a remarkable testimony of the power of encouragement. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, now I didn't always practice it. But I was always taught. Count to ten before you speak. What was the lesson? Think about, ponder, and consider the words you are about to say. Because they are powerful. And so it is with the body of Christ. Sometimes we say things out of emotion. And that's understandable. But maybe there are times we need to count before we speak. You see, Barnabas, he was the model, as we've already mentioned. He was the model of encouragement. Turn over, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Uh, more words about Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, here's where Barnabas is introduced. Down in about verse 36. And Dr. Luke records there in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated, son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You see, son of encouragement suggests that that's what he's characterized by. That's the kind of person that Barnabas was. That's, that's who people knew Barnabas as. And that's why they gave him that name. It meant something. 
before we even read of any encouraging word that Barnabas ever shared. You know what we see first? We see the example of Barnabas. Flip over, if you will, to uh, Acts chapter 9. Dr. Luke gives us uh, more example about Barnabas. Acts chapter 9, we'll go down to about verse 26. Do you remember Saul? Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 9? Saul is on the way to Damascus. He's on his way to persecute Christians, to persecute the church, to persecute people like you and I. And then that's where he met the Lord. And he went to the house of Ananias and his life was changed forever. And down in about verse 26, Dr. Luke says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. And look who came on the scene. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. You see, it took the model encouragement, encourager, Barnabas, the one who is characterized by encouragement. To spend some time with Saul and realize Saul had changed... And did you notice what happened? You see, when he tried to go to the apostles on his own, they rejected him. But when he was accepted by Barnabas, and Barnabas brought him to the apostles, did you see what happened? Paul then was free to come and go as he wished, all because of the power of the encourager, Barnabas. This speaks highly of his influence and the power of his encouraging words. Flip back now, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 11. In chapter 11, down in about verse 25, Dr. Luke records these words about Barnabas. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was, remember they had sent Barnabas to Antioch. Why? To encourage the brethren there. And so he sought out Saul, and he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Because of the encouragement of Barnabas. Because of the inclusion of Saul. Look at what happened to the church. We get to today read about the seven churches of Asia which were heavily influenced by Paul. Some of them he may have even established. All because of the encouragement. Or one reason, because of the encouragement 
of Barnabas. But Barnabas encouraged others as well. He encouraged the Christians at Antioch. Someone has said, start with a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That man is sure to encourage others, both by word and deed, to become Christ-like as well. The inevitable result is the conversion of many and the growth of the church. That's powerful, folks. That's a powerful example. Now let's ask ourselves the question. Would I want someone to say about me what was said about Barnabas? Now that right there, that's a good person. Now that right there, that person is full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You want somebody to encourage you. You want someone to lead you. That's the kind of person that you need. Can I be that kind of person? No wonder in Acts chapter 13, when the Holy Spirit assembled a mission team, He chose Barnabas and Saul. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 12, Saul became the primary speaker. And you know what happens with a good person who's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith? Through that help, they realize their part in the body. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 12, Saul became the primary speaker of that team. Very much like when John the Baptist began turning things over to Jesus. I must decrease so that he might increase. You see, the great encourager, Barnabas, gladly took the back seat to Paul as he became the more prominent figure on those missionary journeys. I'm sure, I'm sure that Barnabas, if he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, Barnabas was not saying, boy, I, boy, I wish I could do what Paul's doing. Because we read in Scripture that, that Barnabas never stopped being who he was. Barnabas realized his gift. Barnabas realized what he was characterized by, and that was giving encouragement and building people up and drawing people to the Lord and supporting others who might be out front. Someone has said a key component of encouragement is selfishness. Pride and self-promotion will stifle and kill encouragement any day. Without Barnabas, would Saul have ever been welcomed by the church in Jerusalem? Without Barnabas, would Saul have ever become part of God's work in Antioch? Without their mutual encouragement to one another, would Barnabas and Saul have become such an effective mission team? Without Barnabas, would John Mark have just quit? 
We know that God would have found a way to accomplish His will. But we also know that He did use the Son of encouragement in a powerful way. Here's something else that's interesting. Barnabas is not the only one who was an encourager. He was not the only one who encouraged Saul Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 5 through 7, Paul talks about encouragement that he received from another young man or another man, Titus. For indeed, when we when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we, were, and, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the con- consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. If Paul, if the great Apostle Paul, now listen to me, if the great Apostle Paul needed encouragement, if the great Apostle Paul was downcast at times and needed encouragement, don't you think you and I need encouragement? Don't you think elders and deacons of the church need encouragement? And that's what Barnabas was. And that's what Titus was to Paul. There's power in being an encourager. But how can we be better encouragers? Bages and Collins list three ways. We can notice, listen to me, we can notice and appreciate how much emphasis Scripture gives to the power of encouragement in the growth of the church. We can also remind ourselves of the opposition that we face. And we can learn from and be motivated by the examples of powerful encouragers like Barnabas and Paul and Titus. What else can we do? Well, we can train ourselves to notice the, the good that others do. Train ourselves to be on the lookout for the good that others are doing. Maybe that's a challenge for us this week. Maybe maybe this week we can challenge ourselves to train ourselves to notice the good in others and encourage that good. You see, if we're not careful, we tend to expect the good and only notice things that are wrong. This can be dangerous and discouraging. It's not refusing to face problems, but it's understanding the power of a good word. We can also train ourselves to speak encouraging words when we have opportunity. We train ourselves to notice the good in others and what they do, and we train ourselves to speak those encouraging words when we have opportunity. If if we if we're not careful, we intend to be encouraging but never get around to it, do we? We never get around to saying that good word or sending that encouraging note or making that phone call. I don't necessarily mean to call out names, but because I I work with them daily, 
I get to see this in action. And I think Dustin does a great job at doing this. One of the things sometimes I'm kind of guilty of, I'm kind of guilty of saying, well, well, I'll I'll do that and I'll put it off and it it may be right at the last minute, right, Miss Debbie? It may be right at the last minute and I'll try to get it done. But one thing I've noticed in Dustin, if, if someone says, hey, somebody needs a word of encouragement, somebody needs this or somebody needs that, I'll do it. And he does it right then. And I appreciate that example, Dustin. Because that challenges me. That challenges me to realize if I want to be like Barnabas, then I need to take the initiative and not put it off. Uh, not do have good intentions, but have good actions. See, we need to train ourselves to speak those encouraging words. We can also choose to be around encouraging people and learn from them. A few weeks ago, we talked about uh, those, those teams that make it to the championship. Uh, they recruit well, they bring in good players, but they also teach them to work together. They play their role. And they surround themselves with good people. And so everybody else wants to be like those teams. All other coaches, they're modeling those coaches that are at the highest level, that are making it, that are getting there. Why? Because they want to learn from them. And if we want to learn to be better encouragers, we need to surround ourselves with those that are encouragers. Just like Paul would say, evil company corrupts good habits, good company helps us build good habits. When I read that, I think about the lessons we try to teach our young people. Surround yourselves with good people. Be kind and friendly and considerate and compassionate to all, but surround yourself, your core group, is good people. Why? Well, if evil companionship corrupts, messes up good habits, good companionship encourages good habits. And if we surround ourselves with encouragers, then maybe that will help us to be more encouraging. I want to read to you a couple of things that Bajens and Collins says on page 50 in their book. Imagine that your phone rings first thing tomorrow morning. Just as your day begins, the caller says, I just want to tell you how grateful I am for your friendship your faith and your service to Christ. You are a blessing in my life. Keep up the good work and know that I'm praying for you. What difference would that make in your attitude, your activities, and your effectiveness for that day? They write, now anticipate not receiving such a call that makes your day. Hear what they say, but placing that call to someone else. You will inspire the same joy and confidence in others that you would gain if they contacted you. They say, pick several this week from the prayer list, the sick list, or the visitor list. Surprise them with a thinking of you card, a visit, a phone call, instead of asking, why hasn't anyone encouraged me? Try asking whom can I encourage 
matter your circumstances, there are others whose load you can lift. Do you remember probably one of the most famous quotes from John F. Kennedy? Do you remember it? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And you see, when that's our attitude, you see how a lot of these things in Scripture, how they're a circle, they keep moving things, moving things. When I encourage others, when I seek to encourage others, guess what? Then I become encouraged. They say encouragers receive more than they give. As a result of encouraging others, we will become more gracious, godly, and caring people than ever before. There is no greater source of joy and fulfillment to be found. Are you joyful tonight? Do you need encouragement? Based on what these gentlemen are saying, some good advice would be then to find people to encourage. In the church, all of us are to be active in mutual encouragement. Encouragement is one vital purpose for our assembly. They quote Hebrews 3 and 13, But encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13 also encouraging each other in our assemblies. Hebrews 10 and verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Edward Steichen, who eventually became one of the world's most renowned photographers, almost gave up the very day he took his first pictures. At the age of 16, young Edward bought a camera and took 50 photos. Only one of them turned out. It was a portrait of his sister at a piano. Edward's father thought that was a poor showing, but his mother insisted that the photograph of his sister was so beautiful that it more than compensated for 49 failures. Her encouragement convinced the youngster to stick with his new hobby. He stayed with it for the rest of his life, but it had been a close call. What tipped the scales? The vision to spot excellence in the midst of a lot of failure. You see how this works in both directions. We, receive, we give encouragement, we receive encouragement. It spreads even to other people. And the people we encourage, they then in turn encourage others. They pass it on. We give and receive. We lift and are lifted. We love and are loved. And in all of it, we see God at work. 40,000 fans were on hand in the Oakland Stadium when Ricky Henderson tied Lou Brock's career stolen base records. record. According to USA Today, Lou, 
who had left baseball in 1979, had followed Henderson's career, and was excited about his success, realizing that Ricky would set a new record. Brock said, I'll be there. Do you think I'm going to miss it now? Ricky did in 12 years what it took me 19 years. He's amazing. The real success stories in life are with people who can rejoice in the successes of others. What Lou Brock did in cheering on Ricky Henderson should be a way of life in the family of God. Few circumstances give us a better opportunity to exhibit God's grace than when someone succeeds or and surpasses us in an area of our own strength and reputation. What a challenge. What a challenge to be an encourager. What a challenge to even realize at times our place in the body. And even if I'm in the back of the group, I can encourage everyone in front of me. Because the reality is when I do so, it makes my path so much easier. There might be some difficult situations. Uh, some people, and, and, and I hope you don't misunderstand what they were trying to say about encouragement does not exclude negatives. It doesn't mean that it gives us the right in the, in the name of encouragement to beat down other people. You see what motivates our encouragement? What did Paul say in Ephesians 4? Seeking the unity and the bond of peace through the Spirit. Everything is motivated by the love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's why we encourage one another. And that's why we seek to encourage those out in the world. Because they need Jesus. And we need to encourage them in that way. Maybe you're here tonight. And maybe you're ready to give your life to Jesus. We always want to leave that open. There's always a baptistry. That for the most part is always full of water. There's always an opportunity. In Acts chapter 8, Philip asks the eunuch, here's, what, here's water... Or the eunuch asked Philip, here's water, what is keeping me from making that declaration, making that public showing that I'm dying to myself because I have a king, I have a new king. And I want to show that. And I want to die to myself just like Jesus died. And I want to rise with Him in newness of life. And Philip said, you're right, there's water. And you can, if you believe. Maybe you're in that condition tonight. We encourage you. God loved you so much that He gave His Son on that cross, went to that grave, and He rose to give us new life through faith and obedience. Maybe it is you're here tonight. And I, I always want to include this when we talk about the invitation. 
I want to give you more encouragement tonight. You do a great job of mourning when people mourn and supporting those who just simply need prayer. We witnessed that again this morning. And maybe you're here tonight and you just simply need the prayer and the encouragement of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Our encouragement is that you do so tonight. As together we stand and sing.